Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. I wanted to build an ark for today, and it didn't happen. So uh, I went to waiters instead, and uh, we'll just uh, go with that visual image. Do you know, though, I don't have a picture of this, but if you are curious, there are two life-size arcs that are built right now. One of them is in Norway or some one of the lands near Norway. I can't remember which country. Um, And the guy had just like a a passion and a heart, and he felt like God said, build the ark. And so he did, by hand, cutting all of the beams and doing it all himself. And so it's just this immense floating ark. It's on barges and it's floating, and the goal is to move it around and let people walk through it so it's like a floating museum. The other one is, are you guys familiar with the uh, Creation um, um, Museum, the Creation Science Institute? Um, Ken Ham decided he wanted to build a theme park based on biblical uh, stories. And so Noah's Ark is the first that is to be built. It will be completed this summer. You can buy your tickets online if you really want to go to see the Ark. You can walk through the Ark. It's going to be a huge museum about the story of creation. Then they're going to add the Tower of Babel land and all these other things. But it's going to be a biblically-based theme park with a life-size Ark, which I think is really cool. Anyway, um, you guys can Google those. They are... Um, they are insanely large when you look at them in real life. You read it in the Bible and you're like, how big is that? And then you see it and you're like, it's really big. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Okay? Um, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Genesis chapter 6. Um, I'm going to tell the story and we're going to walk through Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9. Uh, because like these uh, Sunday school Bible stories that we've been looking at for the past couple weeks, it's really hard to just focus on the ending portion, which is normally what we read in Sunday school. But we need to hear the whole story so that we understand the context of what God was doing. Um, and so we're going to read the, uh, tell the entire story from Genesis 6 to Genesis 9. Before we do a little introductory material, um, the biggest problem that our world has is that our hearts are inclined towards evil. Um, that's the biggest problem this world has. It's not financial crisis in the stock market. It's not terrorism in this one group over here. It's not the fact that we don't get along with our neighbors, any of these things. It is the fact that all over the world, every single heart is inclined towards evil and inclined towards evil continuously, is what Scripture says. We live our lives apart from God. Even though we were created in His image for His glory, we've chosen to live our own lives for our own glory, and we often create things in our own image to worship. And from the very beginning of the first sin in the garden that Adam and Eve, you know, and they ate the fruit and they weren't supposed to, God's plan for restoring his children's hearts from evil continuously to the way they should have been in holiness was to be through covenant. Covenant with God was the way that he would restore special relationship with us. And for those of you who don't know what a covenant is, a covenant is a fancy word which basically means an agreement between two people, okay? In this case, between God and us. And there are sanctions, um, punishments, if you will, if you break the covenant. But there are blessings as you keep the covenant. So uh, parents can probably relate to this. You're in a covenant relationship with your children. 
you say, don't do this or else, but if you follow through, it will go well with you in the land of the living, right? I'm sure parents have used those kinds of... That's just straight from Scripture. So uh, parents are doing God's will when you uh, give your child um, a covenant relationship to keep. Because when it comes to covenant, there are sanctions for not following it and blessings for following it. Now, um, we're going to tell the story via the Lego images today because I like Legos and um, I, I came here. So, um, Adam and Eve... Really? It's not going to work? There we go. I don't know how bad it is. So this is Adam and Eve, right? They're sad. They're in the garden of God, and there's a dead cow, okay? Um, so let me explain this for a moment. When Adam and Eve sinned, um, God had to come down and find them because they hid, right? But then what did God do? God literally covered their sins with the skins of an animal. Death didn't exist in the Garden of Eden. So this was horrific. They didn't know what the inside of an animal looked like. They didn't eat animals um, in the Garden of Eden. Vegetarianism was what ruled, okay? So they had, this was so horrific to see the inside parts of something. And then for that animal to have died, they had close fellowship with this animal. They walked in unique fellowship with all of creation. And when they sinned, it caused God a need to cover them and their sin. And he covered them with the skins of an animal. So this would have been a very tragic moment for Adam and Eve. Um, God sacrificed this animal and used the skins to make clothing to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness and their shame. And it was literally God's act of grace and mercy towards them. Because he had every right to do away with them for their sin. You don't sin against God and escape the sanctions of that. But God said, listen, I'm going to kill this cow instead of you, and I'm going to cover you with its clothes, and this is my grace to you. However, from here on out, you're no longer in the garden. From here on out, life's going to be hard for you. From here on out, it's going to be painful to have children. You're going to have to work really hard. It's going to be a struggle, but I promise one day it will get better. I promise one day I will send someone to fix this permanently. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve, right? There are multitudes of examples in Scripture where God's people live in the covenant bounds and they enjoy beautiful blessings because of it. But there are also just as many, maybe more, examples in Scripture where God's people step outside of the covenant and experience judgment that that brings. Um, but no matter how many times that the people of God step out of uh, the bounds of the covenant, there is always this thread of patience and grace and opportunity to repent that God gives. Because God's heart is that none should perish. That's what it says in Scripture. He wants nobody to perish. Which leads us uh, to this next slide, the story of Noah, where pretty much the entire earth perished. And so as Christians, we need to reconcile the fact that God says, it's my will that none should perish. And then we read this story where the entire earth perished. But Scripture says God's heart was literally wrenched, broken, over this concept. See, Noah's story gives us a very unique perspective of God's desire to restore his creation, his children, to relationship with him as it was before the fall. It's a story filled with immense sadness and grief, but it's also a story filled with great grace, and it's a story that really points us to Jesus in some amazing ways, and we're going to look about that today. But first, we're going to pray, and then we're going to study the story. Lord, uh, thank you for your word this morning. 
the fact that you've given us your very word to chew on and to study and to read and to meditate on and to memorize and to live by. Lord, we are thankful that we get to know who you are because of it. And Lord, as we read your word and as we walk with you and as we draw close to you, it says you will draw close to us. And so this morning, Lord, I pray as we study your word, would you draw close to us as we draw close to you? Would you show us in our hearts the ways in which we're not aligned with your word? And then pour out grace to cover us, Lord, so that we can find wholeness in you and relationship with you. Your word says nothing can separate us from you, and we hold on to that promise this morning as we study the story of Noah and the ways in which you work to bring grace about for a sinful world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so this story um, is really unique. From chapter 6 to chapter 9, I don't know if you guys noticed this stuff when you read the Bible. I didn't, okay? I'm a pastor, and maybe I should notice more things than I do. But sometimes it takes me reading the story like a hundred times before I start to notice something that sticks out. Okay, so as you read this story, you enter in chapter 6 from God's perspective. So if you flip to Genesis chapter 6, you are literally reading this from like... Uh, Imagine yourself perched on God's shoulder. Okay? You're not God, but you're seeing what God sees, um, and it's talking down as if you're looking down on the earth. So starting in verse 5, uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And you get the idea that the Lord is seeing these things. You're sitting with God in heaven, and you're looking down on earth. You're hearing his reasoning, and you see the earth, and you see humanity, and humanity sins through God's eyes. And you get to observe the way that God acts and the judgments that he makes and his reasoning behind the things that he's doing. And you actually get to see the ending of the story before it happens because God exists outside of time and he just reveals things. And so you get to see those things. But you don't stay there up with God because suddenly about halfway through the story about verse what six of chapter seven. You are thrust from God's heavenly perspective to humanity's perspective. You once had this lofty view of those dirty sinners down on earth doing things they shouldn't be doing. Then all of a sudden you are with Noah and you are walking the face of the earth and you have no choice. You can't excuse yourself. You are no longer from God's perspective. You are from humanity's perspective. And God is saying, listen, I don't want to give you an option here. As you read this story... I want you to understand what I know about humanity, and then I need you to know your place. You are part of humanity, and as we go through the story of Noah, you need to know that you have to make a choice as you read this story. Are you going to be more like Noah, or are you going to be more like the people who were outside the ark? And we aren't given a choice. We are either, as we read the story from humanity's perspective, one or the other. We aren't given an option to sit from the lofty view of God. So we go through the the Noah story, and then at the very end, we're brought back to the viewpoint of God as he brings things to a resolve and ends it the way he told us he will. And we get to see how he enacts covenant with humanity that he promised he would in the first place. I'll get the next slide going here. Um, so let's tell the story. In Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, God sees the wickedness of earth. It says that every heart was inclined towards evil continually. Every heart was inclined towards evil continually. And so here's just a little word combination of all the kinds of evil. Not, not even like every evil, but a good smattering of the things that we will see in an evil generation. Do you see these things in our generation? No, we have. Right. Every heart is inclined towards evil continuously. We have a problem in this world, okay? And it's our hearts, okay? And this is not a great endorsement. You don't want 
this to be your endorsement. No political campaign claims this is my slogan. No one says I want my children to grow up to be like this, but we live in a world where this rules in our lives. But sin doesn't just hurt other people, right? I mean, you've been sinned against, I'm sure, and it hurts you. And I'm sure that because our hearts are inclined towards people, at some point you've sinned against someone and you hurt them. And sometimes we get to thinking that sin is just horizontal. But sin is actually vertical. Um, the primary person we offend when we sin against someone else is God. God made humanity in his image. And so when we, when we sin against the image bearer of God, God takes that as a personal affront to who he is. And our major offense is that we've sinned against God. We've also sinned against our fellow man. That's not great either. Um, we were not made for sin. The reality is in the garden we were made for holiness. To walk with God in purity, upright and blameless, in great unity with him. We were not made for sin. But we chose to live a life like that. And God was grieved over this. In, in chapter 6, it tells us that it broke his heart to see how his children had turned against him and each other. And his response to this was, I'm sorry I made them. Parents, you ever said that to your children? No. Right? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> She's downstairs. She doesn't know. <laughs> uh, uh, we won't tell her. Um, so, uh, no, unless it's not Shelly, it's the other one. So. <laughs> we'll assume it's the other two. Um, and so, uh, so parents, you don't usually say that to your children, right? I'm sorry I made you. Like, that doesn't sound very nice. But God is saying, I'm, I'm in the Hebrew, it says, he repented over making humanity. But the idea is, he was so hurt by humanity that he was sorry that he was driven to the extent and the steps that he was going to have to take to fix it. He was sorry that he was going to have to do the things he was going to have to do, but in order to restore humanity, there were going to have to be some drastic measures. If you see a child walking in a road and there is an oncoming semi-truck, do you softly yell, get out of the road? Do you run after that child at full speed? and barrel that child over and knock them down and push them out of the way, quite possibly hurting yourself in the process, but you, anything to save that child, is that the response that we would have? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Kid's probably going to get hurt when you tackle the kid. Not as bad as it's going to be if they were going to be smushed by a semi-truck. God is saying, listen, this is going to hurt. This is not going to be pleasant. But for the sake of humanity and the future of the world and the holiness of hearts, something drastic has to be done. And so his response is this. I am going to remove the breath of life that I have given creation. I am going to uncreate, as it were, the things that I did in the very beginning. Where I breathed life into creation, now I am going to remove that breath. And everyone is going to perish except one guy named Noah. You can hit the next slide. God records in the Bible that Noah found favor. Grace is the word. God bestowed grace upon Noah, meaning that he received grace from God and was covered by the grace of God because in a wicked world where all hearts were inclined towards evil always, including Noah's, by the way, he walked with God. So while his heart was inclined towards evil, he desired to draw close to God, and that put him under the covering of God's grace. Um, James uh, in the New Testament tells us this, and I hold on to this, this hope all the time, mercy triumphs over judgment. Right, And so even when the world is wicked, mercy will triumph over judgment. 
And so still from God's point of view, starting in verse 13 of chapter 6, God said, hey, since we're walking together, since I'm covering you with my grace, I want to let you in on something. I'm going to kill everybody in the entire world because they're wicked and evil. And I imagine Noah had to be resuscitated at that point. Because if you're walking with God and he says, let me fill you in on a plan, buddy Noah, I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> you're like, I don't know about this. And your pulse rate skyrockets, right? And you start to hyperventilate and you're like, I don't, how is this? I don't know where I fit into this. And God lets Noah calm down just a little bit, covers him with a little bit more grace. And uh, next, uh, next slide, verse 14 tells us this. God says, listen, I'm going to save you. You're not going to die. Make yourself an ark, verse 14 says, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this verse is super important, okay? Verse 14, we're going to come back to it later, okay? Verse 14, chapter 6. Make yourself an ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. Now, this ark was to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 75 feet tall. Um, for comparison, there's a 747 plane and the Titanic, okay? So we're not talking the largest boat that ever has been. But think about the generation this boat was built in, and it was all wood. That's a really impressive feat, okay? Um, so its volume is 1,396,000 cubic feet. I don't know if that means anything to you. It doesn't, but it's a large number, so I read it. Um, gross tonnage. Uh, 13,960 tons. Uh, capacity, 522 railroad stock cars, or 125,280 sheep-sized animals. Okay? That's the capacity of the ark, and you can kind of see how it plays out side by side there. Uh, hit the next slide there. Um, there is one door on this ark, one door and one door only. There are three decks and a roof with some windows in it. Um, and, uh, and so you kind of get the idea of this cross-section, how this was laid out. Uh, deck three, animal storage. Deck two, food storage. They're stored separately so that they don't accidentally get eaten all the food at one time. And on the top, bird storage, because I guess they're fragile and need their own storage. And then there's some living spaces in the back and a roof for ventilation and fresh air. That was the ark that God was going to have Noah build. And the plan was, God said, I'm going to send two of every kind of animal to you, and you're going to fill the ark with these animals. Next slide. In verse 18, it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, my special relationship with you, my grace covering with you, and you will come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And here's the covenant terms. Build the ark and get in it. God's going to do the rest. So if you want to be saved, build the ark, get in it, and God will do the rest. That's what God was covenanting with Noah. Just be obedient. Build the ark and then get in it, and I'll take care of the rest. So this is exactly what Scripture says Noah did. Quote, Noah did all that the Lord commanded. We see this phrase repeated like four or five times in this, in this section of Scripture. Noah did all that the Lord commanded because he walked with God. His heart was inclined towards evil. He chose to set his direction towards God. So here's the next slide. It took him about 100 years to build this ark. 100 years to build the ark. That's pretty impressive, right? Um, and, and Peter tells us in the New Testament that during the time that he was building it, 
He was preaching to the people that were around him because he didn't build it alone. In every other time that something really super large was being built in Scripture, they would bring other people in to build it with him. So we have no reason to believe that this was Noah with his three sons by himself. He employed other people, craftsmen and skilled labor, to come in and help build this ark. And for a hundred years, Peter tells us, Noah preached to these people. In fact, Peter actually calls him a preacher of righteousness. Hmm. Noah, for a hundred years, preached to the same congregation day in and day out. There's a flood coming. You need to get right with God. You need to be on the ark when the flood comes for 100 years. And at the end of the 100 years, how many people had chosen to trust God? I just want you to think about this for a moment. You aren't pastors, but you're Christians. I'm a pastor. And as I read this and understood this, I have to, have, I have to believe he was a pastor. He was a preacher of righteousness. He lived and breathed and worked and sweated and bled and ate with these people for a hundred years, preaching the saving knowledge of God to them, and not one of them repented of their sin, and as a preacher, and as a pastor, with a heart for God, um, I, I can't even conceptualize the kind of love that you begin to develop for people after a hundred years, and then to know that none of them are going to be saved. That would just wreck me, folks. It would wreck me. I've been here three and a half years, and to the best of my knowledge, I know of six people that have come to Christ. That's not enough. Can I just be frank? I might not be here for a hundred years, unless, Lord willing, I'm here for a hundred years. But three and a half years, more people should be coming to Christ. We need to preach righteousness with, like, passion. Like it's going out of style. Because, frankly, in our day and age, it's going out of style. Okay? I don't want to sit at the end of the age and go, nobody came to Christ. We need to preach. That's a little side note. But it wrecked my heart this week. I thought about Noah. The next slide, uh, starting in chapter 7, verse 1. Um, when the ark was finished, okay, they're finishing it up here. And Noah had preached his heart out for 100 years. God said, it's time to get in the ark. So he sent all of the animals in pairs. Okay, you can hit the next slide here. Uh, there's all the animals in pairs. <laughs> Uh, they took some liberties in some of these animals, um, but, you know, you uh, get the general idea. Okay, so there's all the animals going into the ark, and here's the next slide. Um, the birds came to him, and they captured the birds, and they put them in the ark. And the next slide, Scripture says all the things that crawled on the ground. So, yes, the creepy crawlies were on the ark, too. Can I get an amen from people who ate spiders? <laughs> right? That's horrible. I'm never going to your Facebook page again. You posted too many spider things this week. Um, so spiders were on the ark, and we just need to wrestle with that, why God thought those were important to save. Um, and then the next slide, okay? God commanded Noah to bring seven pairs, male and female, seven pairs of every kind of clean animal and two pairs of every kind of unclean animal. So here's, like, the cows and the goats and the pigs and the sheep, and he needed seven pairs, so he's shooting shooting them along to get them on the ark here. Now, he had seven days before the rain would begin at this point, and it would rain for 40 days and 40 nights. So he's double-checking the food, he's double-checking the animals, he's making sure that the ark is covered inside and out with pitch, and he's preaching, preaching passionately a handful more times because Noah was doing as the Lord commanded. 
Next slide. This is now man's view. We're stepping down from God's perspective and we're where man is now. And the rain started. There they are, right? They're right there and they've got creepy crawlies on there. Crammed up in there. And as the rain started, I wondered if they wondered about the door. Right? Like, I'd be like, this is a great plane, but there's a giant hole in my boat. And I'm not strong enough to get it shut from the inside. Well, God had that taken care of because his covenant was build the ark and get in. And I'll take care of the rest. And scripture tells us that the hand of God closed Noah and all of the animals in. And then the next slide, the waters broke forth from the deep and the heavens. This means that water came shooting up from the ground in giant fountains and came pouring down from the sky in a giant deluge. And the waters broke forth and flooded the earth. Next slide. And from Noah's perspective, this is what we need to be picturing. Outside the boat was all of humanity, maybe first panicking, hey, can you get the door open? Let us in. We believe now. And then as the waters began to rose, they would climb to mountains and trees to try and escape the rising water. But scripture tells us that, um, you can hit the next slide, water covered 20 feet over the tops of the mountains. There was no escape for humanity. If you were not in the ark, you were not saved. I can't imagine Noah who preached to these folks for a hundred years and then had to sit in the ark and listen to that. I I can't. I can't. But we live in a world like that and we can do something about that. Um, So, there was Noah in the ark and his family and the animals on the water. And the days passed. And the weeks passed. And the months pass, and Scripture's making us wait with Noah on the boat. You know how long they waited? 150 days and no sign of God. 150 days on this ark with the stinky poop from the animals and no sign of God. And I'm wondering if Noah's like, um, a little help here? Uh, what's going on? Had God forgotten about them? That's what I would be thinking I would be thinking, did God leave me here on this boat to just drift aimlessly for the rest of my life? What is the plan here? Did God forget about them? The next slide. God did not forget about that next slide. Sorry. Um, verse 8, chapter 1. I love it. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, that's not what it means, okay? That's what we generally read it by when it says in verse 8 of chapter 1 that God remembered Noah. This is not the like, where did I put my key? Um, <laughs> Oh, I remember. I left him by the door. That's not what God was doing. God was not in heaven, just chilling and enjoying some television and going, where did I put Noah? Oh, I remember. He's in the boat. I'll go take care of him. That's not the kind of remembrance that, that scripture is talking about here. This type of remembrance is a word that is used um, in scripture to denote that God is about to take action on behalf of someone. So when it says, God remembered Noah... It means, I see Noah's plight, and it's not good, and I'm going to act on his behalf to take care of it for him. Um, so it says, God remembered Noah and caused the wind to dry out the land. Okay, that's what it says in Genesis. It was actually the same way he would later remember Israel when they were fleeing Egypt, and they were stuck between Egypt's army and the Red Sea, and Scripture says, God remembered them and caused a wind to part the Red Sea. I mean, it's like the exact same verbiage in that passage. 
But there's one other time that stuck out in my scripture, um, in my mind, in this terms of remembrance. You remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross, and there were two guys next to him being crucified, and one of them cursed Jesus, and the other said, Lord, remember me? It's the same word. He's saying, Lord, would you act on my behalf? I can't get out of this circumstance on my own. I have no hope apart from you. Would you remember me? The thief said, listen, I want God to see me and to take action on my behalf. And so God remembered Noah and sent a wind to dry out the land. But it still took another 160 days for the land to completely dry out. So he is in that boat for 370 days. And we get some very specific timelines from the scripture. If you read that story, it gives you very specific timelines. By the way, he was 600 years old when this ends. He was 500 when he got the command to build a boat. Build a boat when you're 500. That's pretty impressive. Uh, let's hit up the next slide here. So now we're going to jump back up to God's perspective, okay? It's God's perspective, and he's looking down on the earth with this tiny little boat stuck on this little mountain. And this tiny little boat, in this tiny little ark from God's perspective represents the future of humanity on the earth. Everything that is needed to restart the earth's creation is on this boat. Everything. So he gave Noah the command to come out of the ark and to release the animals to the land. And this portion of scripture, uh, chapter 8 starting in verse 15, parallels the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where the land was made, and then the waters receded to their places, and then the plants grew up again. That's the story from the creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And then the animals, and then the birds, and then humankind, right? We know that from the seven days of creation. Now, when Noah came out of the ark, first the land was dried, and the waters receded to their places, and then the plant life came up, and then God said, let the animals go, and the birds go, and then humankind, you go after it. And we are literally recreating the earth into something brand new here. Next slide. Um, Noah did as God commanded. That's his thing. That's what he does. And he released the animals. And the first thing he did upon exiting the ark was to offer a burnt offering. So those poor animals that went on this great cruise thinking they were going to have a fantastic new start. A handful of them were sacrificed as a burnt offering to God. And scripture tells us in verse 21 that this burnt offering captured God's attention and his heart. And it was a pleasing aroma to him. This wasn't an offering for sin. This was a burnt offering simply to worship God and say, God, we're so glad to be off this road trip. We are glad to have our feet on solid ground. We love you. We worship you. And that just pleased God's heart. And God continued to say, listen. Even though man's heart will continue to be evil, this is scripture, this isn't me. Even though his heart will continue to be evil, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. So he made a covenant with Noah. Remember, he told us at the beginning, build the ark, get in the boat, I'll do the rest. And now we're seeing God's perspective at the end. He made a covenant with Noah that no matter how bad it was going to get on earth because of sin, he would never wipe the earth out with flood again. And as a sign, as a promise to Noah and his children, and to all future generations, he put this rainbow in the sky, right? Because the restoration of God's creation is always made through covenant relationship with God. And God said, listen, I want you to remember the covenant that I'm making with you. I will never again wipe the face of the earth clean with a flood. But apart from covenant with God, we are not covered. 
Apart from covenant with God, our sins are not covered. Apart from getting in the ark, Noah was not covered. And apart from us receiving the covenant of God, we are not covered and our hearts remain set against us. So let's hit the next slide. Let's go back to the ark for just a minute. Remember um, verse 14 I told you in chapter 6? And Noah built the ark and he built some uh, floors in there. And then he covered it inside and outside with pitch. And you're like, it's not a super important verse, Pastor. That's a mechanical verse. That's like a sticky verse. It smells like wood. And that's not like an important salvation kind of verse. But i got to tell you something really cool about how God writes his story. It's so much deeper than we could ever imagine. The word used for pitch in this verse is a really unique word. Every other time it's used in scripture, and I mean like every other time it's used in scripture, it has a different meaning. But God used this word with a different meaning in every other time in scripture for the word pitch in this verse. And here's what this word means. In every other context in scripture, it is used to mean an atonement, mercy, a ransom for someone's life, to appease the penalty that is due, or to cover someone's sins. So, what God was saying to Noah is, when he built this ark, you are literally covering the inside and the outside with the atonement, with the penalty for your sins, with my mercy, and with the ransom for your life. And then I want you to get in that and float safely. I think that's totally awesome of God. The only time it is used in Scripture to denote the sticky tar substance is this time. And God is saying, I want you to pay attention because there's something significant here. God is talking about salvation. Um, let's hit the next slide. Uh, the only time, uh, it's not the only time this covering was applied to people, though, right? So the covering uh, covered the ark with the pitch, okay? And think about Adam and Eve for a moment. God covered them, right? Atoned for their sins, paid the penalty for their sins with the animal, right? So he covered them. It's the same kind of word. Next slide. What about the Passover when the people left Egypt? And they killed an animal, and they covered the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And there's this idea of covering inside and out with something significant that atones for sins. Because in the Passover story in Egypt, God said, listen, I am going to send the angel of death. And anybody who is not chosen to paint the doorpost of their house with the blood of the lamb is going to see the firstborn son die. Of those houses that are covered... By the blood of the Lamb, my angel of death is going to pass over them because they are covered by the blood of the Lamb that died. So God is saying something significant about being covered. Next slide. What about the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples? When he took the image from Passover and the doorposts, and then he said, listen, I'm going to take that imagery and I want you to know that the lamb that died back then is now going to be me. And I'm going to be that lamb for you. And it's going to be my blood that covers your heart instead of the blood of a lamb on the doorpost. But you need to willingly take that covering and paint it on your heart. And those are just three examples from scripture. Three examples that God has given us to point us to, um, to, point us to Jesus. To point us to the ultimate covering for our sin. To point us to that pitch which has um, life-giving attributes for us. See, God just doesn't want to reconcile us to him for a generation. It was not enough that just one generation got to be fixed. God ended up trying to reconcile people to him generation after generation after 
generation after generation. And he wants all of us, all the time, for all of time. He wants perfection the way we were created to be. And in order for that to happen, there needed to be a covering that would last, right? The ark was temporary. The Passover lamb was temporary. Um, Adam's and Eve's covering, temporary. All of these coverings were temporary, but they were hinting at a more permanent covering that would come. He wanted us to have a covering that would last forever, a covering that would take our hearts, which are inclined towards evil always, and cover them with grace and mercy and atonement and remake them clean and holy. But the problem is God said he would never destroy life on earth again because of sinful hearts. So what are we going to do about sin? There's this problem that needs to be addressed. If hearts are still sinful, what is this covering going to be? So it worked out like this. Jesus volunteered to die instead of humanity. Jesus would bear the full judgment for our sin, and we would be covered by his blood, covered by his grace. And just as Noah willingly covered the ark in pitch, and in it found salvation from the flood, sinful humanity was washed away in this mass death, right? So Noah went in the ark and was saved, was covered, and sinful humanity was washed away in a mass death. We need to willingly believe that Jesus died in our place for our sins, and that it is only through Jesus, the one door to salvation, that we enter and find grace, and it's through him. And when sinful humanity was washed away by a mass death, Jesus entered the world and said, I am going to wash away all of humanity's sin by my one death. And so there's this great inversion, so that not the whole world dies, but that one man dies for the whole world. Because God is patient with this world, long-suffering with this world. He laid the sins of the world on Jesus so that anyone who desired to enter by faith would be covered by grace. The price for admittance? Covered. Paid in full. Now, Noah's neighbors and friends and co-workers, they all helped build the ark, right? Like, there were people building the ark with him, but they never got on the ark. And that's really significant to our lives. We must not be like the ark builders who built the ark and never actually got on it, okay? Um, I say this very sincerely and very passionately from the heart of a preacher who loves Jesus and loves you guys. It is not enough to come to church. It is not enough to read your Bible. It is not enough to go to Bible study. It is not enough to look holy on the outside. Those things are just building the ark, but they will not save you. You must give your heart to Christ and be covered by the blood of Jesus. So two questions for you this morning. Are you covered or are you outside the ark? Those are the only two perspectives we're allowed to view in this story. Are you covered this morning? And if so, then you are like Noah. Okay? And you have a job. You know what the stakes are. Your job as a covered one is to preach and share and love and beg and plead and lead people to get into the ark with you and Jesus. You have no other option but that because you know the stakes that are at hand. One day, God will recreate the entire earth. One day there will be a judgment roll call, and you'll either be found in Jesus or not in Jesus. And those are the only two options that exist for humanity. 
Just like only in the ark or only not in the ark. We are not given more options than two. If you are in the ark and covered by the blood of Jesus, your only option is to continue following Jesus and to preach Jesus to people you know. Because people you know are dying. And they will go to hell because of it. Hearts are inclined towards sin and sin always. And if we know the truth, how selfish do we need to be to keep it to ourselves? If you are covered this morning, you are to be like Noah. But if you are outside the ark, your sins are not covered, and your soul is at risk. And I'm here to say, as are the rest of us who have claimed Christ, we love you, and so does God. And there is nothing that you have done that separates you from God except your willing choice to say, I don't want that. I will not get on board with Jesus. The only thing that will separate you from God is your willingness to say, I won't, or I'll do it later, and later never happens. Okay? Don't reject Jesus this morning. Don't reject his covering. There is salvation found in no one else. Just like there was one door to the ark, there is one way to salvation, and it's in Jesus. There is no other covering that will save you except the blood of Jesus. And this is why Jesus sat with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, and he broke bread, and he shared the cup, and he took them back to that Passover image, and he said, listen, I want you to think about that, and I want you to think about what I'm doing right now, and what I'm doing right now is going to change the world forever. The covenant that I am going to establish from this point forward is a new covenant, and it's going to be poured out in my blood, and it's going to last forever, and it's going to be for anyone and everyone who wants it. I am going to die for all of the sinners, risking the fact that they might not receive me, but I'm going to pay their price anyway. My goal is to unite my children's brokenness to me so that their sin no longer separates themselves from me, and I'm going to do it through my own death. And Jesus said, so long as you share the bread and the cup, you proclaim this covenant. You proclaim this is what you believe. You proclaim this is how you will live. You proclaim this is how you are covered and covered alone through the body and the blood of Jesus. So it doesn't matter how high the waters rise in our life. We are covered and we float because of the blood of Jesus inside and out, right? It's not enough that we claim it on the outside. We have to apply it to the inside. That pitch that atoning salvation must be applied here, recreate us here, and that creates a newness on the outside. This morning, we're going to get a chance to partake in the Lord's Supper, the simple meal of the bread and the wafers. If I could have the ushers come forward at this time, what we will do is we'll pass out the elements as we sing a worship song. And as you are waiting for the elements and worshiping, um, take some time and ask God, am I an ark builder but not an ark um, participator? Am I enjoying the benefits of being with God's people, but am I one of God's people? And so as these are distributed, please take and hold. We will partake together after this song.